the schedule. Very good job. Thank you, Nate. All right. Book of Revelation this evening. Book of Revelation. And uh, we will go back into our study of the tribulation as we have been going through in our series, Hope in Prophecy. Hope in Prophecy. And uh, we will uh, be looking once again at uh, this time that we refer to as the tribulation or also Daniel's 70th week. And I mentioned a chart uh, that I uh, made years ago, and I printed and put several copies there in the back. And uh, you can help yourself to those. And I, I do need to uh, make some uh, adjustments. I was looking at it right before the service and realized I had uh, made a couple of mistakes on there that I, I guess I never corrected or maybe I printed the wrong version or something. Uh, but anyway, there is um, a copy of that, if that can be of help, and it also has some scripture references. So this is on the chart, or on the screen behind me, the chart of the 70th week of Daniel that we also refer to as uh, the tribulation. That's how we probably best know it. And we have uh, spent some time over the last few Sunday nights looking in detail at the events of the tribulation. There is a lot that goes on in this seven years. It creates a lot of questions. Uh, it, 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 it piques our curiosity. Uh, I think sometimes we want to know uh, details, and it, it's just natural, I think, for us. Yes. Am I, not, am I not turned on there? Okay. There we go. Maybe that will help there a little bit. Thank you. So it piques our curiosity. We want to know details. I know that it's just natural for us as we read through. Uh, these passages, as we learn of the timeline, as we uh, see our country and our nation and the news and some of the things that are going on, and we see the technology that's falling into place, we see uh, the spirit of the Antichrist in the world today, we see uh, the way uh, things are going, and we, we want to know who is the Antichrist. Is that person alive right now? Are they in a place of power, and are they... Uh, working their way up toward uh, the moment that the Antichrist will be revealed and the peace treaty with Israel is signed. And I know those are all uh, the kinds of things that, that come up. And we can certainly see, as I've said before, we can certainly see the technology that is in place to be able to uh, have a one-world government, to be able to have a one-world religion. And so uh, we have spent quite a bit of time Already, and we'll go through some more of the events uh, from this time of tribulation, the, the 70th week of Daniel. At the bottom of this picture, of this artist's rendering of the image of Daniel 2, at the bottom there, the feet, as I've made reference to the last couple of Sunday nights, the feet, the toes, represent the revived Roman Empire, the ten-nation confederacy out of which the Antichrist will rise to power, and we don't know exactly who those ten nations are. We don't know exactly, we don't know exactly what that ten-nation confederacy will consist of. Again, some people I remember, and it could still be possibly some version of the European Union, but I know that is something that a lot of people speculated when the European Union was uh, forming, that people were, were thinking this is the predecessor or could be eventually where the Antichrist will come out of. Uh, again, we're not 100% sure, but there were people who were saying, well, the European Union has, I forget how many nations when it started, and then I think it's fluctuated a little bit. And then the United Kingdom with Brexit, uh, they 
Uh, I think they stepped out of that, and there was a lot of controversy. So there's, there's a lot going on uh, in the world, obviously, in politics and in international foreign affairs. We don't know exactly what those ten nations will be and uh, if it will be the European Union, but there is a revived Roman Empire out of which the Antichrist will rise to power. We've spent time looking already at the titles of the Antichrist and the way the, the scriptures reveal uh, the Antichrist, the little horn in Daniel 7, the king of fierce countenance in Daniel 8, the willful king of Daniel 11, the man of sin, son of perdition, 2 Thessalonians 2, and we know him well as the beast in Revelation 13. And we spent some time looking at Revelation 13 already. We talked about the diabolical ways of the Antichrist, how he will rise up out of this ten-nation confederacy. He will rise to power by deception and flattery, and he is obviously uh, at the... Uh, doing the work of Satan, who is a liar, who is a deceiver. We've spent time talking about how the world, even now, we can see the world being prepared for a man like this because there is much deception and there is a lot of uh, looking for a person of charisma, of personality, someone who has great maybe oratory skills, but just somebody who would be man's idea of a persuasive, powerful, political leader with no doubt money and influence, charisma, personality, and will be able to deceive the masses. And there will be even a satanic deception involved. The false prophet will be his counterpart. There will be a one world religion We can see the ecumenical flavor of the world today, people who refer to themselves as spiritual and religious, and yet they have no true faith. They just want to boil everything down to the least common denominator, which in many cases is just this very generic love for God, or I even heard a person refer to as referred to God as the highest ethical spirit. That was a new one for me. I had not heard that before. But I heard someone refer to God as the highest ethical spirit. So there is going to be a ecumenical, one-world religion, and eventually the Antichrist and the false prophet uh, will, uh, will it'll lead to the Antichrist worshipped. So how that will all transpire, again, we can see in the world today this spirit of Antichrist, this ecumenical spirit that's in the world, and the false prophet will come with these signs and these wonders. And again, it's all part of the deception. It's all part of leading the Antichrist to his place of power and his prominence. And he will, uh, with the help of the false prophet, be lifted up even into a godlike status. And again, Revelation 17 speaks of this spirit of adultery, this adulterous type of relationship that the world will have uh, with the help of the false prophet and false religion. So in Revelation 13, we talked about how the Antichrist will 
either suffer an assassination attempt or there will be some masquerading of a wound unto death. I don't believe that the Antichrist will actually die. I don't think Satan has the power to raise people back to life. I think that the keys of death and life are in the hands of the Lord. But there will be a trickery. There will be a possible assassination attempt where it will look like he is going to die and there's no way he can survive the wound. And they bring in the greatest doctors and surgeons and however much time later he is said to be alive and to be recovering and will walk out of the hospital and there can be a great press conference. I can just see it all kind of in my imagination of what it could be like or it could be CGI, you know, the computer uh, graphic uh, kind of uh, interaction and the way they can uh, make all kinds of simulations on the screen now uh, with uh, computer-aided design, graphic design. So maybe it's all just a big ruse, but nevertheless, it will look like he survives a uh, deathly wound, a mortal wound, and that will in turn be used to bring him worship. And he will sign a peace treaty with Israel. How this will all play out, I think this is one of our greatest areas of, uh, of interest. How will this happen? What will the temple look like? How will this work out with the Muslims so that the Israelites can actually restart the sacrificial system once again and begin uh, once again taking offerings to uh, the altar? How will this all play out? How will these red heifers uh, that uh, have been delivered there in Israel, how, how will all that uh, come into place and uh, how this peace treaty will be worked out? What will it look like on the world stage? And who will be involved? Who will be the different people? Where, where will this be at? Will it be secret? Will it be public? Uh, all these things, I think, are in our mind's eye and in, uh, in our imagination. And uh, it's, it's caused, caused us to uh, have a lot of, of ideas about how this all could, could work out, could play out. But we know after three and a half years, he will break that covenant, that treaty with Israel. He will desecrate the temple, and he will turn and persecute the Jews. And then he will meet his death at the Battle of Armageddon at the end of the tribulation period and be cast into the lake of fire in Revelation 19. We spent time last week looking at the sealed judgments. And we talked about how there will be a measure of peace at the beginning, symbolized by the white horse. The Antichrist will be able to come up with some temporary peace. Probably in that time frame will be the peace treaty with Israel. There will be some measure of world peace, but it won't last long. The red horse, we see war breaking out around the world. Daniel 11 refers to uh, the wars that will take place, and also in Revelation 6. And we, we know that war is in the heart of man because of man's lust for power, man's envy, man's desire for uh, conquest, and wars will break out around the world in various places, probably everything from civil war to uh, nations at war with each other. There will be an economic collapse and that is symbolized by the black horse. And this is where we could possibly uh, see... Sorry, I got a little bit of a glitch here today, tonight. 
it's possible that this will be the Great Reset. If it doesn't happen before, it, it very likely could be at this third seal. And the Antichrist will use this. If everything collapses, I can see how the Antichrist will use that to consolidate his power and to be able to institute a one-world economy and the mark of the beast. And the, what would possibly be a barcode and the number 666, Dr. Bob Shelton, as I mentioned last week, uh, his theory is that there are like a social security number. I'm not saying our social security number is the mark of the beast. That's not what I'm saying. But something about a, a social security number type of number that has six digits, three sections of six digits each. And some mathematician uh, did the variations if there were three groups of six digits. Uh, I forget what the, the total number was, um, but Dr. Shelton does a great job explaining it in, in his book, God's Prophetic Blueprint, uh, that I've used in, in, in my study in preparation. And I forget the number, but I think it's somewhere in the neighborhood of, uh, of 8 billion people, uh, something around that. There could be 8 billion different numbers if you take six digits of three, group, three groups of six digits each. That could be the way that the 666 uh, represents the, the mark of the beast and how it could be an individual number, a barcode of sorts in uh, people's hands, people's foreheads, and that could be the way the mark of the beast is implemented so that people can only buy and sell if they have the mark of the beast. If you take the mark, if you take the mark of the beast, you ultimately are selling your soul to the devil. You are buying into the great uh, delusion of Second Thessalonians. And the great reset, or uh, however that will uh, be called, or how it will all work out, that is part of that economic collapse, I believe, where the Antichrist will be able to have a one-world economy. And I'm not saying that if you have the number 666 show up in your bank account, or on your license plate or something, that you are cursed. <laughs> I think I mentioned that the United, United Kingdom at one time, if the number 666 showed up on a license plate, uh, they would not publish that license plate. They, they would forbid a uh, license plate from going out in public that had the number 666 on it. I'm not saying we ought to be superstitious about the number 666, but nevertheless, it is known as the mark of the beast, and that is one idea of how that could actually be used in a one-world economy. The fourth seal, the pale horse, 25% of the earth's population dies. Two billion people. If we are at eight billion now, one-fourth is two billion people. Unbelievable, uh, the, the amount of death. Martyrdom of Christians in the fifth seal. Cosmic calamities in the sixth seal. We looked at those last week. And then in the seventh seal, there's silence, earthquake, and an announcement. Now, that brings us to a parenthesis of sorts in Revelation chapter number 7. Now, the Jehovah's Witnesses, they will take 7 and they will completely misinterpret this passage and basically try to uh, read into or add their false teaching into this idea of the 144,000. Now, notice it is 144,000 Jewish evangelists. Without going back again to all of our reasons for 
the pre-tribulational view of the rapture, but this is one of the reasons, again, is that God is apparently not using the church for world evangelism. He is using the Jews in these 144,000. So it, once again, it appears that the church is gone. The rapture has taken place, and God is using these 144,000 for evangelization. Revelation 7 in verse 1, and after these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth. And again, these are references that just speak to the, the whole world being encompassed uh, by uh, these uh, angelic beings, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servant of God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed in hundred and forty and four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Of the tribe of Judah, 12,000. Of the tribe of Reuben were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Gad were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Asher were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Nephthalim were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Manassas were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Zephyr sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Levi were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Issachar were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Zebulun were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Joseph we're sealed 12,000 of the tribe of Benjamin. We're sealed 12,000. Now, let's take note of this for a minute. Okay, 12,000 from 12 different tribes of Israel. But you'll notice some differences here. And I'll get to that in just a minute. But it's 144,000 Jewish evangelists sealed in their foreheads. And they are given immunity from the judgments. The seal judgments, the bowl judgments, and uh, the trumpet judgments. But notice that Dan and Ephraim are left out. So there are 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes. But Dan and Ephraim are left out. Joseph and Levi are included. Okay? I cannot be dogmatic as to why it is different than the 12 tribes and the allotment that is given. Joseph receiving a double portion because of his two children. And obviously Joseph being faithful to the Lord and God gave him a double portion. And the Levites did not get a land allotment because they were given the, the duty of the priests in the service of the tabernacle and the temple. Okay? So we see those differences there. Some have speculated that Dan was taken out because of, in the book of Judges, uh, where the uh, prostitute was, was chopped up and um, sent throughout, and Dan's sin in involvement in that. Some have speculated that maybe Dan is not included because of that. Some have said that Ephraim in the northern kingdom was the center of the false worship, and maybe that's why they weren't included, whereas Joseph and Levi, uh, being uh, Joseph having the double portion already through his sons, and Levi being involved, 
and the service in the tabernacle and temple, that's why they were included. I can't be dogmatic on that. I don't know exactly why. And then there has been the talk about, well, how can we know what tribe each of these Jews comes from? Because in 70 AD, the Roman general Titus destroyed Jerusalem and the genealogical records were destroyed. I don't think that's hard to explain. God knows. God knows the heritage. God knows which tribe each of the Jews are from. I believe uh, even Dr. Hartman may have made reference to this a little bit, if I remember right, when he was here. But we, we don't have any doubt that God can determine who is from which tribe. And 12,000 from each tribe is not going to be hard for God to determine. So obviously, these are 144,000 Jews who are saved. They are converted to Christianity. They are saved Jews. And they are called of God. And they are sealed in their forehead for this particular job of giving the gospel to the world. And they have immunity from the judgments on the earth until their work is finished. They have a big job to do. It reminds us of the responsibility we have right now to be sharing the gospel. Can you imagine what it would be like to be sharing the gospel in the time of the tribulation with the various judgments going on? With the billions of people dying? What an incredible calling uh, these people will have to go out and to share the gospel. They're converts, we understand, from verses 9 through 17. I won't read all of the the verses, but verses 9 through 17 speaks of the saints in white robes, and they are uh, there before the throne of God, and it's speaking of the martyrs, those who are converted during the time of the tribulation. They suffer martyrdom at the hands of the Antichrist, and I would imagine the Antichrist is going to have agents to help him. Uh, We talk about the KGB from the USSR. We talk about big tech today. I'm not, again, I am not saying that if you have a smart home, that you are in the clutches of the Antichrist. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that it will not be hard with all the technology if you have a smart home Alexa's recording a lot of what you are saying and what you are ordering. Google and uh, Apple, look at, the, look at the amount of data that they have. Look at the amount of influence. We've, we've seen the Twitter scandal and what's been going on and how the liberal left is losing their minds over the fact that there might be someone who disagrees with them. How dare anybody disagree? Think about if the Antichrist has control of the world and all the technology at his disposal and the mark of the beast is determining who buys and sells, there is going to be technological spies and cameras. China, communist China, has already experimented with facial recognition. Social capital. So that you earn social capital points or lose them based on your adherence to the regulations of the communist government. 
It's not hard to see how the world will be in the clutches of the Antichrist. And he may have a Alexa or a Google or a Siri in every one of our homes. No, not ours. We'll be in heaven. Praise God. We'll be in glory, raptured, taken into glory. But it's not hard to see how they will have cameras and devices and who knows what people will be out there reporting a Christian, a believer, and there will be martyrdom. And they will be before the throne of God, giving him glory, and eventually the 144,000 as well. Um, As best we can tell and understand, they too uh, will likely suffer uh, the martyrdom as well. So that brings us to the seven trumpet judgments. I won't spend a lot of time here, but I do want to put them on the screen and go through them very quickly. I won't read all of chapters 8 and 9. But there are seven more judgments that take place. And these are even worse. This is probably during the second half of the tribulation, in what is called the Great Tribulation, or the time of Jacob's sorrow. Probably, as best we can tell, the seventh seal judgment is about the midpoint of the tribulation. Now, Again, we can get into some of the details of that and kind of get into the weeds of where the timing is on all of these, but that seems to be a logical place to put the seventh seal judgment. So 14 catastrophic judgments take place in the last three and a half years of the tribulation. I cannot imagine what life would be like here on the earth during the time of God's wrath being poured out. We are experiencing the grace of God and the mercy of God in manifold proportions right now. And we are not going to be able to change all the natural catastrophes by driving electric vehicles and living off of windmills. Climate change is not something that we can dramatically affect by our petroleum products and methane gases and burping cows, all right? We're having very little effect on the overall climate. We understand climate change is primarily a control mechanism to take our money and to have power and control over the world's population, okay? It's very clear what God says where the real climate change will come when the elements melt with fervent heat. God will bring climate change. Okay? God has put such a protection in the earth that we are not going to be able to cataclysmi, cataclysmically, however you say that, affect the world's climate by our actions. Now, can Tate and Lyle get in trouble for dumping, I don't know if uh, Kim would know, but Kim might know if we dumped, I understand Tate and Lyle could get in trouble for dumping waste in Wildcat Creek or Wabash River. Uh, That would be a bad thing, of course. We don't want all the fish dying. I don't know if Wabash River is very good for fishing, though, is it? Not not so sure it's that that great of a place to fish. I mean, we don't want to pollute the environment. There's nothing good about dumping oil in the backyard and killing all the trees and the plants. I mean, there's ways in which we should be good stewards. I'm not saying we should just go out and 
burn down the national forest somewhere. You know, that's not the, the point. It, it, it's obvious that we should be good stewards as part of our dominion. But think about the catastrophes that are listed here on the screen behind me. As these pour out in Revelation 8 and 9, the, the silence we, we read there in verse 1 uh, was about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar. And we talked about the incense. And then we go all the way down to verse 7. The first angel sounded, and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood. And they were cast upon the earth, and the third part of trees were, were burnt up, and all green grass was burnt up. Trees and the grass, a third. A third of the waters are contaminated. A third of marine life dies. A third of ships are destroyed. A third of the inland waters turn bitter. It's, it's catastrophic. It's hard for us to, to fathom. We talk about, we hear of, we read in the news about the different famines around the world. We're concerned about some of the supply chain issues, railroad strikes, food shortages. You probably see advertisements for supplies of uh, the, the food. Uh, ready? Oh, it's in the military. The uh, meal's ready to eat. I forget the, the term for it. And what is it? Is it okay, yeah, MREs. Thank you. I, I see advertisements for MREs. I hear, I read advertise, I see advertisements for the different, uh, you can get a 25-year supply of food. All you do is add water, and you can have great-tasting food. You can buy a 25-year supply for X number of dollars. I mean, I see this kind of stuff a lot. People are getting fearful of these types of shortages. I don't know, and I'm not trying to be a doomsdayer or a fear monger. I, I'm not saying that you shouldn't go buy an extra box of mac and cheese or an extra can of green beans or, or corn. By all means, that, that's fine to do. But that's nothing. We could be fearful with the inflation and all that, but that's nothing compared to what is going to be going on in the second half of the tribulation. Think about what the crops being destroyed, marine life, ships, I remember listening to, to one guy years ago, and uh, he was trying to fit all this into World War II because he was a post-millennialist or an all-millennialist, I forget. And he was trying to go through, and he was saying, well, in World War II, there were one-third of the ships destroyed. And he was trying to read all this into uh, World War II. No, this is future. This is in the second half of the tribulation. Think about the daylight and night lights being reduced by a third. Think about how that's going to affect climate, how that's going to affect uh, moods of people, how that's going to affect uh, the, the growth of crops, animals. I mean, there's so much that will be affected. And then the stinging locusts, okay? Let's go to the plague of locusts. Revelation 9, And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit, and he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit as the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. So I don't have an artist's rendition, but the idea is of a locust, but it has a scorpion's tail. 
And it came out of where? It came out of the bottomless pit. This is a hideous looking beast. Now, some have speculated that this could be describing some sort of future armament, equipment that John did not have the vocabulary to describe. I suppose that that is possible. I suppose it's possible that he's describing some sort of futuristic armament, missile, uh, not missile, but something uh, of a future military technology. I suppose that's possible, okay, because John's using, again, the vocabulary he had available to him uh, by the inspiration of God in, in the confines of the Greek language. In verse 3, and there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. And to them it was given that they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented five months. And their torment was as the torment of a scorpion when he striketh a man. And in those days shall men seek death and shall not find it, and shall desire to die, and death shall flee from them. So only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads will be affected. And it says that they will be tormented five months, and their torment was as that of a scorpion when he striketh a man. Okay, so could this be describing some sort of germ warfare, chemical warfare? Again, I don't know. But if we just take it literally as a locust with a scorpion's tail with a particular kind of poison to strike men with torment for five months, that is an awful way to be judged. But it will be necessary because of God's wrath upon the world because of man's sin. This is not describing a ruthless and a brutal God who has no love for man. This is describing a God of love whose love flows out of his holiness, who must bring judgment because of the holiness of his character and the wickedness of man who is living in rebellion and is in the spirit and the authority of the Antichrist living in wicked rebellion against the God of the universe, our holy God who sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins, whom they have rejected and they have sold themselves to the devil. This is hard stuff for us to swallow. I get that. But this is even bringing glory to God. Because sin is finally being dealt with. We have a hard time right now. We watch politicians. We watch legislative action. We watch dictators. We see multimillionaires, frauds, people who are ripping off people, taking advantage, exploiting, and it seems like they get away with it. Doesn't it just make us so angry sometimes? The FTX, whatever his title was, who 
He's running around doing interviews, ripped off, I think something like $30 million is missing from his cryptocurrency, who just seems to be parading himself around, and he's being referred to as the mini Madoff. We see the conspiracy against conservatives in politics, in big tech. We see investigations of conservatives. We see Christians who are denied service at a restaurant in Virginia because they believe in traditional marriage. We, we, we see it now in the world in America in just small doses. Think about the martyrs of the past. Think about the persecution of Christians, both now and in the past. Think about the sin of man who has frequently shaken his fist in God's face. This is describing what happens when God says enough is enough and mercy and grace of God is lifted and man experiences the judgment of God. It brings glory to God in the sense that there is judgment for sin. And we thank God for that. Because what if sin ruled and reigned for all time? Satan would be the ruler, and there would be torment and destruction and death for eternity. But God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We're mesmerized by this. It intrigues us. But I am so thankful that we're going to be in that group in Revelation 11 and verses 15 through 19. As the 24 elders fall down in worship and give glory to the Lamb. And we also have to once again be reminded and be so grateful for our salvation. There is a a sobering reality to this. Five months of torment by the sting of a scorpion-like locust. I was a little kid who used to collect the brown locust shells off the trees. I thought they were so cool. And my mom probably thought, why are you bringing these into the house? You know? We hear the cicadas, especially during the summer. And what was it, the 13-year or whatever locust? I forget what, what year locust was. And what was it? 17-year locust, I guess, was out this past summer, maybe. Um, and, you know, there, there, there's the locust that we see, but I've never been stung by a scorpion. I saw one when I was in Arizona, and all of us boys went running into the dormitory. And uh, on the mission trip I was on, they had us at a little camp, and we were in, a, in the dorm, and there was a scorpion that came into the dorm. And all of us boys, of course, we were like running over there. Let me see, let me see, you know. And there's this scorpion in the, in the middle of the boys' dorm. And that's the closest I've come besides a pane of glass between me and the scorpions at the zoo. But to be stung with one of those and to suffer for five months in torment. Again, it's hard in our minds, in our world today, where everything is lovey-dovey, for us to imagine the catastrophic consequences of sin, but this is what sin does. We take sin so lightly today. 
we've, we've basically taken sin and we have rewritten it out of our vocabulary in a lot of ways, even in churches. A man commits adultery with a woman or a woman with a man, they commit adultery and it's an affair. And I know we use that to, to, to not be so you know, harsh with our statements. Um, we use things like sleeping together when the Bible says it's fornication. We use terms like homosexuality, which I understand. We use those kinds of terms and, and not, nothing wrong with that. But the term used to be sodomy, sodomites. I mean, we, we've, we've taken all kinds of terms and we, oh, it's, it's just a little white lie. Um, it, it's, it's not that big of a deal to deceive it's just um, I, I had I had an, uh, I had something I had something else that I wanted to do, and we then have these therapeutic terms that are in these books now that are in modern pop psychology, and now it's gender reassignment surgery, when actually it's child abuse, or it's what do they call it, gender reaffirming care, euthanasia for assisted murder. Abortion itself is a term that is used to try to cover up the murder of preborn life. I mean, the wrath of God has to be poured out because man is in rebellion against God and his sin has to be punished. And God is a holy God. We'll stop there tonight. Uh, we'll come back and we'll look at the two prophets next week. And then um, we will finish this up probably into the new year as we look into the millennium. And uh, we look at some of the other uh, aspects of eschatology. But may it be a reminder, once again, of the love that God has for us. He does not desire for us to experience his wrath. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But God even uses something as catastrophic as this to bring glory to his name in a way that only God can. And may it be a reminder of the awfulness of sin. And may it inspire us once again to be holy and to live pure lives and to share the gospel. Because there could be, I don't know the timing of all this, but there could be people who are unsaved today who would go into the tribulation, take the mark of the beast, and sign their lives away for all eternity for hell and destruction and even experience some of this. That's a sobering reminder. It should once again motivate us to be ambassadors for Christ and to share the ministry of reconciliation, the word of God and the gospel with others. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for, again, your word. Lord, these are, are heavy uh, passages, but yet at the same time, Lord, they bring glory to your name. Because, Lord, as we see so much, it seems evil and sin being um, overlooked or people getting away with what seems like just despicable evil and never getting caught. We know that, Lord, ultimately there is an accounting 
that, Lord, there is a judgment day. And, Lord, we don't wish that upon anyone, but at the same time, we understand the reality of sin and man's sinful condition. And when man rejects Christ, Lord, there has to be a punishment for that sin. And, Lord, may we once again be motivated and determined, Lord, to live holy lives and to share the gospel with others. And, Lord, even this Christmas season, we pray that you will give us open doors, opportunities, and help us to take advantage of those divine appointments. And, Lord, help us to live in the light of your coming, looking unto Jesus, we pray in Jesus' name.